Hello, and welcome to another episode of Right Care Baptist. I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. I'm Amanda Comer. I'm a nurse practitioner and the system director for advanced practice providers. And we are very excited to have back Krista Bockert to talk to us about some vaccine updates. Krista, welcome back to the program. Glad to be back. Thank you very much. So, so today we're interested in hearing about the updates related to the RSV vaccines. Um, so, but before we before we get into you know what is newly available, let's just kind of step back and cover um, you know why are we developing uh, vaccines for RSV? How big of a problem is it, and what populations are we talking about? Um, yes, with the RSV. Um, population, it tends to be those that are very young or those that are very old, but a lot of times we think of these patients being more of the the younger populations, those that are you know, premature neonates, um, those that are under two years of age, where we see a lot of it, but really where there's more, more and more literature showing that you know, adults age 65 and older also are affected by the RSV. Um, and so it accounts for about 900,000 to 1.5 million medical encounters for those that are age 65 and older. Um, also accounts for about 60 to 150,000 hospitalizations um, per year, as well as, you know, it is attributable to death as well in those that are age 65 and older. Um, and so just because it's usually um, self-limiting with the very young, there is some risk with those patients, but you know we're now finding out that it's more and more of a burden with our older patients. Um, the other yeah. thing that makes it complicated, right. though, is that you know it has very similar symptoms to that of our common cold and our flu and our COVID, and so that's what makes the actual diagnosis in those patients a little hard to discern and figure out what exactly we're treating in those patients. Yeah, that that was surprising to me when I first heard about the over 65 uh, vaccine. I was like, I, maybe they're targeting this population so they don't give it to the neonates, you know, their grandchildren. But um, I, I didn't realize that we, we just don't test for it probably enough in that population to know how big of a, a deal it is, but that it does cause, um, you know, significant disease. Yeah, and it's for pretty much for those patients that have certain underlying medical conditions. So those that have an underlying lung disease, those with asthma or COPD, those with cardiovascular disease, um, if they have some type of immunocompromise, they've got diabetes, kidney disorders, liver disorders, hematologic disorders. So, you know, even in those, even though it's, you know, an age greater than 65 that are at risk, we even have a certain other population within that or subpopulation in that group that are even more at risk. So them getting that vaccine is kind of who we're targeting um, for those patients over 65 to be vaccinated. Great, okay, so tell us more about the, the vaccine developments and you know when it was released and, and the population that we're targeting and how often they should take it. Um, right now, their um, CDC re is recommending a one vaccine. They have not studied it um, in a multi-season fashion where like we do the flu vaccine, we get it one every year. Um, so it was just recently approved in June of 2023. And so I think there'll be more data coming out with RSV as far as if we should be getting it more often in those patients that are at higher risk. 
right now the vaccine is only for those patients who are greater than 60 years of age. Um, there are two vaccines that are for those patients, the Orexv, which is a GSK product, and Abrisvo, which is the Pfizer product. Um, the one thing that's unique about the Pfizer product, though, is that it can be given in pregnant women who are within their 32 to 36 um, week gestational period to help give some maternal um, immunogenicity to the infant. So passing it from, you know, vertical transmission from mother to baby, um, some passive immunity that baby would have within that first six months of life. So um, with the vaccines, we're really only targeting, again, those patients that are over 60 years of age for both of the vaccines, but the Pfizer product, the Abrisvo, is the one we're targeting for mothers that are within their 32 to 36 year, um, 36 weeks of gestation. Okay, so we far, have. Go ahead. Okay, no, go ahead. Yeah, so so we have two different companies that are making it. One that is approved for yeah, over sixty, and another that is approved for over sixty with, I guess, those uh, chronic conditions and pregnant women past a certain gestational age. Correct. Um, and so the studies that were done with both of these. Um, you had mentioned about seasonal. Um, they looked at those patients who had the vaccine within season one and also followed up as far as their RSV-associated lower respiratory tract diseases in season two. Um, the GSK product or the Abrexv, um, it showed an 82.6% per um, associated lower respiratory tract disease in season one, but that decreased within season two to 56.1% reduction. Um, but the combined of the two seasons was 74.5%. Whereas with the Pfizer product, when they looked at the immunogenicity and the um, vaccine effectiveness against RSV-associated lower respiratory tract diseases, in season one, it was around 89%. Season two, it decreased to 78%, which gave a combined Season one and two protection of about 84.4%. So both are effective. The, the ASEP guidelines do not recommend one product over another. Um, and they also say that there should be some shared clinical decision-making with their patient's PCP on when to get it and um, who should get it. Now, are these products available throughout Baptist, throughout our system? Um, I do believe that, yes, they are um, available and patients should get them um, as early as the vaccine is available at their institution or primary care provider's offices, and it should continue to offer the vaccination throughout the RSV season to any um, eligible adult who remains unvaccinated. Um, so it should continue to go on throughout the seasons trying to make sure that we are capturing, capturing those patients and protecting them, but knowing that our usual season for RSV is between, uh, is the fall and winter. Now, COVID-19, we've seen a little change and shift in when we're seeing RSV. Um, and so last season, we saw it hit a little earlier from like July to September. But the feeling with that is, is that since we lifted COVID restrictions, we're now kind of getting back to our pre-COVID way of life. And so they're hoping this shift of earliness will or early onset will continue to shift towards our usual fall to winter. But then that sets us up for this triple epidemic that we we fear where we potentially have an RSV surge, a flu surge, and a COVID surge all at the same time. And that's why vaccination is going to be so important is to help discern maybe what you have or what you don't have, but also give you that protection where you don't even have to 
come to the hospital to be treated and just be, have some mild symptoms at home, hopefully. What about the infants and young children population? Uh, uh, you know, I see, uh, is it nursivimab, nursivimab um, mm-hmm. a vac- vaccination for them? That, that's a new one for, for children? Actually, the nirsivimab, um, it is a new product for infants, but um, it's actually a monoclonal antibody um, and not a vaccination. So what we're doing in these, this patient population where we have the children who um, are at risk, um, either premature infants or age, great, age six months or younger that are entering the first RSV season, um, we can give the nirsivimab, which gives them monoclonal antibodies, which um, will give them passive immunity for about five months or so. So it gets them through that season. This is similar to the product that we have in the past, which is Synergist was the brand name, um, Palavizumab um, is the generic name. But the difference with this is that the Palavizumab has a shorter um, duration of activity. And so we're having to give these infants once a month shots for about five months to give them that passive immunity. So the big change um, between the two products is that the the nirsivimab can be given one time, it lasts the whole season, and it also has um, indications for patients that are 12 months of age or lower um, with certain conditions that leave them at high risk. So not only are we gonna give them in that first RSV season, but the nirosivimab gives us the ability to be able to give them in their second RSV season if they're considered high risk. Okay, and are are we given those within our system as well? Um, I do believe yes, um, we are. Now there was a CDC health advisory this week because I think it's become such a popular product that now product availability is limited. So all those drug shortages that we um, all fear, um, and so. That's one thing that has been, uh, you know, has come up since its approval early this or the summer um, is that now we have so many providers that we are wanting to use it because the ASEP has put it in their recommendations for the younger patients um, that we're now having use of the product and lots of use of the product. And so I don't think the manufacturer can keep up with the supply. Um, so what the CDC is recommending is those for those infants that are less than five kilograms that they get a 50 milligram dose of nirosivimab now. Um, and those that are born during October 2023 throughout the RSV season, they get a 50 milligram dose as well in the first week of life. Um, for infants that are higher weighing, greater than five kilograms, they say to use the 100 milligrams of nirosivimab. So there is a dose, um, a dose increase with weight. Um, and then the, say, save it for the highest risk patients. Those, those infants that are less than six months of age, those who are American Indian or Alaska Native infants aged less than eight months, um, and then infants that are aged six to, eight, six to eight months with conditions that place them at high risk for severe RSV. So prematurity at birth, um, defined as less than 29 weeks gestation, chronic lung diseases of prematurity, um, hemodynamically significant congenital heart disease, if they're immunocompromised, if they have severe cystic fibrosis, um, or if they have a neuromuscular disease or congenital pulmonary abnormality that keeps them from clearing their secretions. Those are the patients that the, C- the ASAP and CDC are saying that we need to reserve that new product, nirosivimab, for. So, um, so yes, everybody's very excited about this product. And um, But, you know, the other place to also help protect our patients 
of the of the younger variety is to make sure that their mothers are able to get the RSV vaccine within that 32 to 36 weeks um, of gestation because that also provides them the same immunity. Um, and those pa those neonates that potentially the um, mother has done that, there's no data to say that getting having the mother get the vaccine plus having the neonate getting the monoclonal antibody afterwards gives any extra benefit. So hmm. they're right now the ASEP is saying to do either one or the other. Interesting. It is very interesting. So the vaccine is given intramuscularly or IM injection? Um, yes. And the monoclonal is administered how? It's IM as well. Okay. What about effectiveness for the vaccine and the monoclonal? We have data on that. Um, so with the monoclonal antibodies, um, there's two trials that, that got, the first was a phase 2 beach randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial that was in healthy preterm infants um, from those that were 29 weeks of age to 30, 35 weeks of gestational age, and it showed a 70.1% relative risk reduction um, in that group, whereas in the trial, the phase 3 trial, which was called the MELODY trial, um, it looked at healthy late preterm infants at greater than 36 weeks gestation. So looking at that patient population that may still be at risk, but at a, um, a higher age, um, it showed a 74.9% relative risk reduction. So um, both of the monoclonal antibodies and those, those infants that we we're concerned about showed a pretty good um, relative risk reduction. What about contraindications or complications? Really, there's no... Um, no complications or serious adverse drug events that could occur with these monoclonal products. Maybe, you know, painted injection site like we typically have with vaccines. There may be also, I think there has been some rash associated with it, but it's very mild and self-limiting. Um, as far as contraindications, I do not believe that there's anything that's contraindicated with the monoclonal antibodies. I don't have that written down, though. Well, that's okay. So it, it seems like at least we got some new tools in the toolbox for combating RSV um, with, you know, some pretty good efficacy and minimal side effects. Um, what are we seeing as far as uptake? Is it, are we seeing a good bit of adoption? Do you, do we have that data yet? We don't, we don't have that data yet. Um, I think it's still a little too early um, in, the, in the season, um, especially with these being two, two newer products. Um, I think especially with the vaccines, I think there is still, there's still some vaccine hesitancy, and that's why it's important for us to have these conversations with our patients um, about how important it is and what they can do for them um, as far as keeping them out of the hospital, keeping them at more mild symptoms, decreasing their, their risk of death with getting some of these viral infections. And so um, vaccine hesitancy is something that we need to try to figure out and um, overcome for us to have, I think, some better uptake with these products. Yeah, yeah. And especially since, I guess, like, you know, a lot of us were kind of surprised to hear how common RSV was in the adult uh, population. Um, is there any evidence that vaccinating the over 60 population prevents transmission to, you know, neonates that may be at risk? Or is it too I don't early? Think that there's, 
I think it's too early, and I don't think the studies at this time were, you know, set up to evaluate that. Right now, they were looking at um, safety, efficacy, and even some of the studies that weren't powered enough to show that it did decrease um, hospitalizations. So, I think these first initial studies were just to make sure that it got to the market, got to the people that needed to have the vaccination. But I do anticipate some of those those questions to be answered in later trials. Good. So I'm, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. So coming into flu season, um, how have any recent advancements improved the effectiveness of the flu vaccine? And maybe what should people expect this year? Um, well, the one the one big change in flu vaccination recommendations um, that that I saw from this year to last year, and I think that as a system we recognize this as well, and you know we made changes to our recommendations for our flu vaccine is those patients that are greater than 65 of age should be getting the high dose or adjuvated um, flu vaccine, and that's something we hadn't done in the past. We had kept that high dose flu vaccine for those patients. Um, that were 80 years of age and older and were nursing home residents based on some um, breakdown and sub-analysis sub from some of the studies that we had seen previously. But with the strength of the recommendations from the CDC and ASAP, um, we as a health system decided that we needed to adopt that for our patients as well. So when we're offering them the flu vaccine this year, um, those patients who are less than 65 of age will get a quadri quadrivalent vaccine. Um, there are no trivalent vaccines available anymore on the market, so everybody's getting their quad strength. Um, and those that are age 65 and older should be getting that high dose or adjuvated flu vaccine um, that gives them um, some more immunity. The difference between the two is that with the flu vaccine that's adjuvated, the company has added a product to it to kind of boost the immunity to it. Um, whereas with the high dose flu vaccine, it actually has four times the recommended antigen, um, or not recommended, but four times the um, amount of antigen that the regular quadrastrength um, vaccines have. And that's because usually the elderly patients have a harder time building that immune response that, um, than our younger patients that are less than 65 years of age. So the whole impetus, impetus behind that is that those patients that are greater than 65 get a product that are going to help boost their immune response because their immune systems are weakened already. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and, and then what about with COVID? Um, you know, for a while we had update after update with COVID vaccines. Um, where are we now? Because it is very, it has been very hard to keep track. Um, it has been. Um, and so actually it's become a little bit more simpler. It becomes simpler this year. Um, and that the new COVID vaccine that um, they have manufactured for this season is a um, is not a bivalent vaccine like it was before. It is a monovalent, and it's now recommended that anyone ages five years or older get a single two, um, single dose of the 2023-2024 formula of um, the COVID vaccine. Um, so there's no additional doses for those that are age 65 or older. There's no booster throughout the, the season. It's just one vaccine. There is some potential data with those patients who are immunocompromised. That would be a shared decision-making recommendation um, with their providers. But patients who are um, immunocompromised have the potential to get another additional vaccine um, during this COVID season. But it, has, it should be given 
um, at least two months from the last COVID vaccine. So even if you got your first series of COVID vaccines, you still need to wait two months before you get the additional one for this season. And probably what I foresee is that um, this will become kind of like our flu vaccine where every year we'll be having to get a new COVID vaccine to cover the strains that we're seeing, um, you know, from in the Southern hemisphere and taking that and trying to make sure that we have a better product to protect, um, to protect, protect our patients and ourselves. What about the timing of that vaccine? Is there is there a recommended time frame for when to get it? Um, the only thing that I've really seen is that it's within, you know, you know, at least two months from your last vaccine. I don't think that there's really been any strong recommendations of when you should get it. But looking at the track tracking and trending of when we're seeing COVID upticks, over the last several seasons, probably this time of year, again, with our RSV and our flu vaccine, um, you know, it's probably best to get it about now so that we're covering through this whole season for everything. Um, there is some data um, with COVID and flu vaccine that you can take those co-administered together um, without any problems. So you can go and get your flu vaccine and get your COVID vaccine at the same time. Um, there has been some studies with RSV and flu vaccine and say that you can get both of those and those neither one of them will affect um, the antigenous or the immunogenicity um, of those vaccines. Um, so you could go get both of those together if you needed to. Um, now, the ASEP stand is that you could get all of them at the same time if that you want to. Um, but there's not a lot of data right now to say that you can go get your COVID, your flu, and your RSV together and you know, everything's going to work the way it's supposed to, but they are, they rather you have the, the vaccine in your arm and get it um, because that will offer you some protection, but the actual clinical studies saying, you know, you could get all three together. They're not out there yet, but there is data for COVID-19 and flu together. And there is some data with RSV and flu together. So um, you could potentially, if you were, had concerns, you could go get those two together and then go back at a later date and get the third vaccine. So hopefully getting some simplification there as well. Um, so, Krista, anything else we didn't cover regarding the, the world of respiratory pathogens and vaccines? Uh, I don't think so. The, um, you know, this the important thing is, is you know, having, though, actually, there was one thing that was a little different this year that the ASEP guidelines had recommended, and that's for patients who have egg allergies with the flu vaccine. It used to be, you know, do not get the flu vaccine if you have an egg allergy. They've actually um, kind of rescinded that and say that um, anybody should get the vaccine um, even if you do have an egg allergy. Now, if you have a severe egg allergy, a true severe egg allergy, they recommend to be vaccinated, vaccinated in a medical setting um, if an egg-based vaccine is used. But, you know, usually egg allergies occur in children, and usually that um, allergy kind of wanes into adulthood. And so now the thought is, is that egg allergy is really not as, um, and I wouldn't say as important, but it kind of waxes and it will wane. And so in your patients who do have an egg allergy that had it early in childhood, they don't, they don't feel there's a risk there anymore with the egg-based flu vaccine. But again, if you have concerns and you have patients who have severe egg allergies, you do need to watch them after they get that vaccine. Interesting. Did not know that. Well, thank you, Krista. And thank you again for everybody listening to an another episode of Right Care Baptist. Remember, if you follow the link in the show notes, 
You can redeem this episode for CME credit. It's very helpful, Krista. Thank you. Thank you. I hope I covered everything. And I hope I didn't.